Hey guys, it's Tom here. Just wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon you can get on for $3 a month and you get bonus episodes every week. And if you sign up for the whole year, you get a 10% discount. That's $2.70 a month, I believe. And we also have a tier where you can be a guest on the Patreon show. You could pick a band yourself to defend and uh, and do it on the Patreon. So get on over there. It's patreon.com slash stand by your band. everybody and welcome to another episode of stand by your band i'm tom takara the wolf of dog street once again joined as always by the prince of snarkness himself tommy mcnamara how are you tommy i'm doing very well tom we're about a third of the way through sober february not counting the super bowl which is going <laughs> great so far <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's the best month to pick because it's the shortest, and it's a day shorter when you just choose a day that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> well, we're still, Valentine's Day is on the table. We're, we're still in talks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I if I were your girl, I'd be pissed. If, <laughs> I, I remember she, it was so funny that uh, Emily got mad that she, you picked Sober Mondays, and then she was like, yeah, and then I have to find out about Sober Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> What a surprise! Um, what we have a we have a hot little show today, and I want to go ahead and introduce introduce our guest right off the bat because uh, we got to introduce this whole concept that we're doing. We're changing the format up for the day, and I am excited for it. Uh, today we've got Chris Gethard on the show. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I also like that you picked Mondays because probably the most traditional day to not drink anyway. Right, yes. <laughs> right. You shouldn't have had to clarify. That, yeah, the <laughs> pandemic has been hard on all of us. So. <laughs> yeah, usually Monday is recovery day for a lot of people. Right, right. It's like you're Especially already hungover. Football season. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. That was the tough thing, man. It's so hard to to pick days, especially during uh during quarantine stuff where you're like well i'm not gonna i was gonna do monday this week i was gonna go i'm not gonna have anything and then my girlfriend wanted to watch the bachelor and it's like well if i'm gonna watch the bachelor i'm obviously not gonna do that totally uh perked up you know i did a bunch of percocets so uh-huh. there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh but we're so i want to introduce that we're doing something uh we this is very interesting that you uh you picked the band you did uh chris because our friend who we'll hear from soon uh jared thompson the owner of the comedy attic called me a couple weeks ago saying you know what you guys should be doing is every once in a while you need to do a band that people just don't appreciate enough that maybe got uh fallen by the wayside or, or so to say or that people just don't know much about as opposed to something that people just completely hate like Nickelback or or Creed or something and so I think that you picked the best band we could do that with because it's uh it's a band that Jared I know loves and a band that I've been wanting to get into for a while because uh, a friend of the show Shane Torres is obsessed with them he's he's gone up to see them I think uh Kanane likes them too and uh, I had never fully gotten into them, but we're we're going to talk about Jawbreaker today. Yeah, I love Jawbreaker, and I also want to say too, I don't assume anyone knows anything about me, but I've been I've been very vocal, and even in my most high, like in my HBO special, I I quote Smith's lyrics a number of times, 
And originally when we talked, um, the idea was, hey, I'll do the Smiths. That's a good band to defend. A lot of people have things to say. But unfortunately, since then, Morrissey has just said a series <laughs> of borderline alt-right, if yeah, not outright yeah. alt-right <laughs> things. And I'm thinking about getting my tattoo removed of a signature. So it was just to get a bigger like, one. What's that? To get an even bigger tattoo of, of well, from him. I was him. gonna like it's on my shoulder here, and I there was a part like if it if I wasn't like a married father at this point, I would have put like '80s era above <laughs> or like remember when Morrissey wasn't insane, and I would have done like a bit. But now I'm like I got a son and. <laughs> Gotta probably just cover it with something about him. Like that's the one thing I, I have to imagine. I'll always stand by my son, no matter what he says. So it'd be a good time to change your son's way. name to Morrison, and then you can just there easily. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, I named you out of convenience for me on the tattoo <laughs> issue. So. Uh, but yeah, I feel like sadly, since we first talked, like it's actually crossed the threshold where I can't defend Morrissey. And sure. so as much as I still love the Smiths and the other three members and those songs, I'm like, I just can't spend a podcast episode defending him. That that's he- totally fair. And I when when the Smiths got brought up, I was really excited because I like I like a lot of their music too. But it was kind of more interesting to get into a new band or to to learn about a, a band that I didn't know a lot about. And it's kind of great timing because they reunited a few years ago. So it, it it uh it led me to watching the documentary about them uh, called Don't Break Down. And I don't know. Have you seen it? It's awesome. It's so good. I, I just it. finished it a few hours ago. And I it it's one of those things. I'm like in that post-band documentary glow where I'm like, I was just texting Shane Torres about them. And I was like, dude, the next time they're anywhere near here after the pandemic, I can't wait to go because their shows yeah. seem so fun. I went to their first show back at uh, Riot Fest in Chicago, and it was awesome. And I think history has proven, you know, they reunited, and I think I think people go, oh, they are great. But you know from the documentary, maybe in 2021, I don't need to defend this, but, you know, there's a whole, in the punk world, this whole idea of punk purism was a huge thing. You can't sell out. Mainstream stuff is garbage. If you're a band from the punk scene and you sign to a major label, you go on MTV, that means now you're garbage, no matter Mm -hmm. what your music sounds like. And I think that a lot of people would agree uh, that no band ever took it on the chin harder from the punk purists than Jawbreaker. And you look back and go, man, that was nonsense. That was not right. And uh, so in that sense, I think there is some defending to do, even though currently I think there's a ton of love for them well even so uh well let, let's get right into all this because i this is exactly what i wanted to talk about is the whole idea of selling out which i feel like is mostly I, we've talked about on the show a little bit but it's like it's mostly over it feels <laughs> like uh people don't seem to get nearly as upset with the band for making money now and there's so many like it's i actually find it very hard to even discern what independent music exactly means because you will have artists who are hugely successful, who you find out their label is a subsidiary of Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and people give them credit for being independent. And then you also have like 16-year-old rappers who put stuff up on Bandcamp and become just as successful. Mm-hmm. And all the streaming services allow you to find things in new ways. So I almost kind of feel like, you know, I'm I'm 40, so I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, I'm officially middle-aged and 
when you saw back in the day that a band was on Warner Brothers or Geffen, you immediately in your mind go, I'm judging this in a different way mm -hmm. than if it's a band on you know, Lookout Records or Matador Records. They mean different things ethically. Yeah. Now I don't know that that's the case. I don't think anybody has the time or wherewithal to care about that. Yeah. Which I think is a nice change, actually. It's, I, think it's, I think it's good, for sure. Um, there's a moment that, uh, goes along with the selling out thing in that doc that shocked me because I just didn't, I don't, I'll be totally honest. I don't know a ton about punk history. So I was really surprised to know that people viewed them just touring with Nirvana as this thing where they weren't welcome at their home club anymore. It's if people you guys can see because we're looking at each other. I'm actually grabbing my head in frustration <laughs> and not to put on a show because again, 2021, I think even even punk people go, man, Nirvana was an amazing band. And do a lot of people say that they're the ones where the damn broke and punk got ruined a little bit? Sure, but now that we are kind of over ourselves, you look at Nirvana, you go, oh my god, what. What great songs and what a great sound. But it's it's the perfect example of punks really hated on Nirvana for being on MTV in particular mm -hmm. and kind of exposing the punk ethic. And they felt like even though Nirvana had been a punk band through and through, they felt like, oh, you know, the ethics of this now negates the fact that they sound very similar to what they used to sound like, mm -hmm. if not the same. And it's the ultimate example of like, man, and now in 2021, everybody who likes that style of music is going, holy shit, man, Nirvana's awesome to this day. <laughs> and Jawbreaker got crushed. I mean, to the point where legendarily their fans would show up to their shows. And when they played songs from the old albums, they would watch. And when they played songs from their, uh, from Dear You, their mm -hmm. major label album, the fans would physically turn their backs <laughs> oh to Jawbreaker God. and not watch because they said Jawbreaker turned their backs on us. So we'll turn our backs on Ugh. them. And they would sometimes Ugh. sit down, face away from them and sit down to make sure the band really could perceive what was happening. And it's just cruel. It's cruel and it's mean. It just, it, I think, and this is totally me watching it, uh, knowing a lot of these people now and i i don't feel like uh this this could be totally inaccurate but i was watching them and getting pissed off because i was like you I, I this could be totally wrong but i was like i'm sure you little rich fucks parents are paying for you to like have a nice little life or you you have money and these guys needed to make they were broke i mean they were fucking broke before they sold that uh before they made that deal it seemed like based just based on having to worry about canceling their Europe tour and stuff. It, it, and I'm, I'm basing a lot well, of this off that doc. So I actually, I mean, I, I did grow up in the punk scene and know a lot about it. And actually I've become friends with the drummer of Jawbreaker through very yeah. circuitous uh, means. He, he but owned a venue in San Francisco, right? He owned a uh, video store yeah, and he used to do comedy, but he was also in another San Francisco band called Jay Church, which I was a huge fan of. And mm -hmm. Jay Church is a much less talked about band. And I wrote an article for a place called The Talk House about Jay Church. And he actually reached out to me and was like, thank you for doing that. Like nobody talks about Jay Church. That's cool. And, and we've maintained a little a friendship since then. And uh, you know, a casual, like I'm, I'm not going to pretend that me and Adam from Jawbreaker are like, 
the tightest people, but we'll text and a couple times a year catch up. And um, he was on sandwich night at the same time as me, if I remember. Oh, yes, hell yeah. yes, he was on sandwich night. Uh, the, <laughs> the, holiday, yeah. the, holiday, <laughs> the holiday that I invented and that somehow still happens 10 years in. Um, but yeah, you know, I also think there's two things to keep in mind. One, they came out of a venue called Gilman Street. It's mm-hmm. the same venue that broke Green Day. It's where the Rancid guys started out. And everybody was going, Jawbreaker is amazing. They're going to sell out too. They said publicly over and over again, we have no interest. We're never going major labels. So I think they made a mistake there. Yeah. But then I also think that by the time they signed with the major label, the band was kind of running its course. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're at a point where they were going, why not see what happens? And why not make a little money off of this thing before right. it ends? And why not see if this generates some excitement to keep it going? Because I don't know how long it's going to keep going anyway. So maybe this will be a thing that allows it to survive. So I think, yeah. I'm sure some of it was excitement about the money. I, I also think there's something to be said for it. We all know, like, and I've been in this situation. Like when I was on public access TV, everybody was, I actually never identify with Jawbreaker more because my show was on public access it was this like super hip underground thing after a while bands would like bands on nationwide tours would try to be in the tri-state area on a Wednesday to play our show, our dumb public access show where we couldn't even pay them. And then we got picked up by cable and it was really, really exciting. And there was this initial burst of the fans being like, Oh, you did it. And then instantly people go in the cable version sucks. It lost mm-hmm. all its heart. And now I'll tell you everyone's favorite episode of that show is this thing we did with the dumpster. That's the one that people are like, it's one of the best episodes of TV from that decade. And our show was a lot of episodes were garbage. And that was, you know, we were experimenting. That was the deal. That was one of the cable episodes. Everybody's favorite thing Mm -hmm. is one of the cable episodes. (laughs) Nobody cares now, but I, I experienced that same thing of like, but it's also like, you guys have been in comedy long enough to know I've been doing it 20 years. I didn't get a pilot on that show until I was 14 years in. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you you can't pay your mortgage with indie credibility. Yeah. My son's not going to have food in his mouth because I'm doing a cool <laughs> underground thing. At a certain point, artists have to be allowed to pursue their art at a high level. And, and thank God that's changed a bit. But even in the mid 2000s, like I had people who had loved my shit for years go, fuck this, you're a sellout. And, and I fought so hard to do it the right way as much as possible. And I still felt the same thing. I, I remember thinking and laughing. I haven't even, I wasn't even planning on saying that before I got here, but I remember thinking kind of giggling to myself of like, Oh, this is the mini version <laughs> of getting jawbreakered. Well, it's funny <laughs> that you say that thing about people looking back on this episode from uh, the cable version is being graded in the moment saying it was oh, not as good because the same thing happens in the doc exactly with dear you where people oh, immediately like, this isn't the same sound. This sucks. And if you listen to it you can tell the vocals are very clear yeah they're very clear sure and all those people are like yeah i listen to that one the most now that's the best one i was gonna say like going back again probably not the riskiest thing to defend jawbreaker now that they have had this uh you know reunion re-embracing but I would go so far as to say, I mean, most people will say 24 hour revenge therapy is their best album and it is awesome Mm -hmm. and like a punk classic, but I am one of those people who I listen to dear you more. Like if you ask me my favorite jawbreaker song is bad scene. Everyone's fault. Like I think chemistry is awesome. Oyster is awesome. All those songs. I mean, I think, uh, um, 
the one that Julian Baker covered. It's, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, of I just uh, 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 Shane just texted me that. Uh, Shane Torres just texted me that video of Julian Baker's cover. Beautiful of uh, accident prone. Accident prone. The one about having the room at the hospital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, got I to you and there was nothing left. <laughs> it's like that album's awesome maybe their best one and and that is the thing that i think a lot of the punks still get grumpy and don't want to admit that it's definitely the second best one and it's closer than a lot of people will admit Mm -hmm. i i mean i listened to both those albums today and yesterday and i really liked both um i do want to talk really fast before we because i want to play some songs and i want to get to jared's voicemail but really fast you mentioned the thing about them saying in live uh, during live shows they would never sign with a major label and then it, it this could have been exaggerated but it they said literally a week later <laughs> they signed because he went on this big thing and he was in chicago uh blake was like there's no way we're signing with a major label that's a rumor we would never do that and there's a great line from billy joe armstrong who's in the audience and they had just green day had signed and they were he was the only one in the room who was with a major label, and he was like, man, this is the loneliest I've ever felt, and please don't say what you're saying. You're fucking yeah. up so bad. But you also got to keep in mind that, legendarily, Blake and their bassist, Chris, got in a physical altercation on stage at one point. Like, oh, on they, stage. I, that's the rumor. I, I might be wrong about that, but if I the, the story I heard, and maybe it has been dispelled as a myth, but when I was a teenager who came up loving Jawbreaker, that was the gossip. Oh, they started fighting on stage um which you know if we want to fact check it we can but like they were getting in physical altercations as a band like they needed they needed change they needed to take some big swings they yeah they needed to try to save the goddamn thing (laughs) that was uh i don't know if you've ever been to one of our stand by your band live shows chris but there was a lot of fist fighting yeah i mean that's on the ticket Listen, I mean, this is an audio medium, but we're on Zoom, and I can see that you're both covered in contusions, right? <laughs> and I can only assume it's kind of the only way we can record. I mean, you don't you don't bottle up magic like this without any bruises. Um, I've heard that generally, as you guys, when you do your recordings of this show, generally one of you is immediately in an Uber on the way to the other. That's, that's the hard part is we can't record together anymore because of COVID. So, but we do wear a mask to fight really fast. Yeah, and you, you do. You fight responsibly, at least until the vaccines get. And when Johnson and Johnson steps up, then maybe you fight without the masks again. But. Also, um, we will never sign to a major podcast. No, here. no. <laughs> Wait, we already did. <laughs> uh, all right. I did find, I, I just wanted to play because I had this audio saved up anyway. I, I thought it was funny. It was, uh, it's Blake and Chris uh, getting into a fight in their van. Uh, van. But I mean, there might be multiple stories, but this one just seemed really intense. Uh, I'm just going to play. I'm going to pull this right here. This is from the doc. No, it's Britain. Like what sense? Any stories? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I don't know. We would like fight like crazy, and and then uh, we had some pretty brutal tours. Yeah. So I guess you want me to tell the story of the end of the band in front of the cemetery? So it just worked out that way. I was trying to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, in my defense, I would say I was really drunk. <laughs> and I, that, I know that's a poor defense. It was uh, the the Foo Fighters tour, uh, '96, spring of '96. It started off pretty good. 
And then, I don't know, something went wrong. Blake was being a kind of a jerk. Remember, he was never a big fan of Chris's driving. And Chris was driving the van. And then Blake spit gum in my hair. And I was kind of like, oh, no. I was like, you know what? I've had it. I'm sick and tired of being, you know, a servant to your prima donna, you know, ego. I'm told that I screamed, you've been ruining my life since I met you. <laughs> and I don't remember that, but I do remember that, the sentiment. And I threw the car into park, and I went for it. Just pulled over and just kind of like jumped at Blake. You know, went full on just like you know like with choking we tumbled out of the van to go fight to like have it out anthony was like pulling Blake and chris like back into the van and they were both kind of swinging wildly and like you know hitting me instead <laughs> i just love the line you've been ruining my life since the day i met you that is yeah. one of the most dramatic things i've ever heard and i that'll break up a band for sure also, I should have remembered it wasn't on stage since I've watched the documentary. They talk about it being in the band. My bad. My bad. Oh, no. All good. I was like, I mean, it's also possible they, they were getting in fights on stage, too. Who knows? But uh, that one, they kind of just go, all right, maybe this is maybe this is done. And Blake goes, or not Blake, Chris goes on to say, like, they weren't really hanging out at that point. They they kind of weren't friends. And to your to your point that's what they signed for in the first place they were like we're kind of running out of gas here and there's a moment where they say if we don't we're either signing to a major label or we're quitting we, there's just nothing here anymore yeah. um tough yeah and i love it i love the underground stuff i came up a punk guy but now that i became an artist like i don't ever want to be one of these people like there's been enough tv shows and dialogue about like oh it's hard to be a comedian and i am of the opinion of like eh, it's you gotta scrap a lot to get gigs but let's let's not pretend that we're like in a steel foundry it's right. not a hard <laughs> thing to do but for anybody who's trying to be an artist like i'm I've, I've been freaking out lately because i'm like i'm very i've always been very like full of self-doubt but i can recognize that I've had a successful career. Mm -hmm. Like I can see that. And I'm about to lose my health insurance this year. Yeah. At the age of 40 with a son. And that's just part of being an artist. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, there wasn't any screen actors guild work because of the pandemic. And they're not, ex they're not extending it. I think they're not doing the right thing. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll have to figure out how to not have health insurance when I have a mortgage and a kid. Like, yeah, that's part of being an artist, you know? So yeah, sometimes you got to take the money and see if it helps instead of hurts. True. And it's just, yeah, I mean, there are just no guarantees and you get tired. And then like, especially guys in bands like that, where so oh. much of it is just touring and you kind of just have to get along with your, your guys all the time. And especially when you're not hanging out after, like after, and it just feels like work. Yeah. You're going to wear each other out a little bit. And, uh, that seems brutal. And yeah, Chris is like, yeah, I just didn't want to live like this anymore, uh, which <laughs> yeah, I kind of get. I get it. I get it. Um, we should take a quick break before uh, we get into the music, and I want to hear what Jared has to say about this band. So we'll be right back with more Stand By Your Band. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. 
cards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. All right, we're back with some more Stand By Your Band. I think we should hear some music before we before we listen to Jared, but I know Jared has a lot of thoughts on this band. So let's uh, let's go through this playlist uh, right off the bat. We have a song from uh, from Twenty Four uh, Hour Revenge Therapy. This is a boxcar. So let's let's start. This it is off their with classic. Boxcar. Yes. That is a little bit of boxcar, and uh, yeah, that's a great song. It's the best, and and you can tell their relationship with the scene, so to speak, because that was one of their independent albums. And the first line is "You're not punk." I'm yeah. telling everyone, save <laughs> your breath. I never won. What was one like? There was always maybe some contentiousness there. That's yeah. their most popular. song. What's the score? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that song's about the Honda Element, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, that was actually sponsored. Yeah, that was a sponsored <laughs> song. There. Maybe they did sell out. Actually, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I wanted. To, I have one more clip from the uh, the doc I want to play before we hear Jared because it's related to the recording of uh, of that album, and uh, it's with Steve Albini. It just really made me laugh how little he gave a fuck about them. <laughs> I remember this clip. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it really, it really tickled me because they're just like, they're so excited to work with him. He's, he works with the Pixies and stuff. And then he's just so doesn't give a fuck about them. Doesn't remember them. And, uh, it's, uh, it's really funny to me. Oh, I got to find it here. Okay. Here we go. This is it. 34. One second. Oh, here we go. And we decided to do it with Steve Albini, and um, you know we had we had admired his work, and we, you know Big Black and Surfer Rosa, the Pixies record that he did. I called him up, and I was kind of starstruck. I was kind of freaked out actually to, to talk to him. It was like he's the guy, you know. I had a studio in my house. Essentially, I would just answer the phone, and whoever was on the other end of the phone would book time in the studio and we kind of had that inferiority complex of like we're this little punk band and you're this monster kind of electronic crushing super genius i'm fairly certain that i had mistook them for the band jawbox i know that i had this (laughs) amp and this cabinet uh, at the time of that the jawbreaker session i was talking to Albini about guitar sounds, you know, and I'm like, this is like a big chorus, man. You know what I mean? I mean, it's got to have like this big descending melody. As I recall, we're talking about Jawbreaker and not Jawbox, right? Correct. <laughs> As I recall, uh, Jawbreaker had Marshalls. So I wanted him to like break out the big guns, you know, and he 
busted out this little like Radio Shack amp. He was like, what if we do it like this? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know any Jawbreaker songs. <laughs> I just love, they're like, they couldn't be have more reverence for him. <laughs> they're like, they're so hyped to work with him. And he's like, yeah, is it, wait, Jawbox? <laughs> It, it almost so stings more because he doesn't remember them today. I know. Yeah. It's, like it, like he hasn't, it's, it's, like, a, it's regarded as a classic album, and he hasn't even gone back. Like that's current days. Like, I don't know. That's exactly <laughs> what's so funny about it, because he's not like, yeah, at the time, I was like, are these guys Jawbox or Jawbreaker? He's like, yeah, I still don't know. I don't give yeah. a fuck. It never takes that turn where he's like, and then they got in there. Man, my mind was blown. Never takes that turn. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, they booked time at my studio. <laughs> yeah, if you called, I would answer, and uh, you could book some time. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, all right, we have a uh, regular segment to get to, which is that our friend and foe of the show, Jared Thompson, the owner of the Comedy Attic in beautiful Bloomington, Indiana, where you can still see shows online. Uh, on their, they, they do Zoom shows uh, that you can watch from the safety of your home. But uh, he's our resident snob. He hates almost every band. We play on this show, and so uh, I'm. Ve- I think he's going to be really excited about this one because, if I remember correctly, this is one of his uh, one of his go to bands. So let's hear from our friend Jared Thompson. What's up, y'all? This week's he went to Jared. The boys are going to have Chris Gethard on discussing my favorite band of all time, Jawbreaker. So just real quick, Chris, uh, I feel like I haven't seen or talked to you in years, which is true, I think. But it was so great to see you in Class Action Park. Like, I had never heard of this place, and I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, my God, we have to watch this. Well, I... You know, it was such a pleasant su- surprise to have you on there, and I thought you were really funny and great in it. And uh, all, all I can say is, I wish I would have been able to go at least once. But um, so anyway, on uh, as far as Jawbreaker goes, so I think that could have found them, you know, after Green Day or whatever. They just, with like a lot of people, they just spoke to me in a way that really no other band in that time frame was. And the fact that the music was sort of more normal than a lot of the stuff, you know, like I came up on like Born Against and, you know, bands like Econo Christ and like just bands that were like, you know, your parents would be like, what the fuck are you listening to? Like, this is so bad. So jawbreaker was one of the first bands that i ever listened to where it was like pleasant enough sounding that like i could listen to it and people didn't like look at me like i had three heads and you know so i just and they're one of the bands that i have stuck with all these years and i you know i listen to them as often as i listen to anything one of the things that i really think is crazy about them is that even though they are sort of worshipped by a lot of people and you know there's so many Uh, tattoos and shit that people have I still feel like that for like a national sort of thing they are still very uh, underappreciated and I always wonder in the case of this or we also we talked about um, Elliot Smith a few weeks ago will they ever get their sort of like mainstream do like will they ever go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame it's a really weird and great question but anyway i'm really excited to hear chris's stories about the band and uh anyway i'll see you guys later thanks all right that was jared's thoughts on jawbreaker and uh i love that he 
posited a question and then said, uh, it's a really great question. <laughs> 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 Will they make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And that's a great question. Um, and it is. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I cannot imagine a world in which Jawbreaker is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly <laughs> enough. Sadly <laughs> enough. There's... You know, I'm not a fan of punk purism, but there's just clearly a line that some bands are never going to cross and, and never be respected in a certain way. And I think what's so fascinating and heartbreaking about Jared's question is they are probably the band that's right on that line, maybe mm-hmm. more than any other punk band. Like Green Day went over the line, Nirvana went over the line, and there's hundreds and hundreds of bands that never even came close to the line. And Jawbreaker's kind of heartbreakingly the ones that got there. And then you think, if all those shitheads who read too much maximum rock and roll and who took punk to mean like 95 different things that weren't artist supportive and maybe back then weren't realizing that, but it was so aggressive. If those shitheads hadn't kind of danced on the grave as the, as the band was dying, like before they were dead, they were hastening, like kicking them down into the grave while they were still alive that hadn't happened. Like, would they be over that line now? Would they have put out a couple more major label albums and had a song that like broke way bigger and be there? Like it's punk purism at its worst. You may have caught the cost of this band, a legacy that would be in a museum because I'll also say this tangent, the rock and roll hall of fame. I always thought it was going to be super cheesy. And then I was spending time in Cleveland and went and it's fucking cool. I had a, I had a good time there. If they just called it the rock and roll museum, yeah, it's because they call it a Hall of Fame that you think it's going to be like a you know like a Planet Hollywood, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Johnny Rockets vibe in there. But if they just called it a museum, because that's what it is, it's yeah, like super fun, super cool. But I also think uh, I wonder if Jared would agree. And thank you for the kind words, Jared. But I also feel like, in my opinion, and I hope nobody gets mad at me, and I'm not trying to judge their choices, but I feel like. The the video the song they chose to try to get onto MTV was Fireman, which I'm a little bit baffled by because I think there's four or five better songs on Dear You, and mm-hmm. uh, they went for it. And the video looks cool, and you know they're good looking guys. Like they had everything, they had every chance. But I feel like they also could have picked picked a couple songs that just were maybe a little catchier, more traditional. Yeah. Maybe that would have been a smart play. Who knows? I, I can see know. it happening. Blake is a very handsome guy. So, are, I mean, they're, oh. they're handsome guys for sure. I mean, uh, Chris is like a, a bit of a weirdo, but I like, he's cool though. I, I thought he was really cool and I liked him in the documentary a lot. Yeah. And I mean, like they were also, you got to keep in mind really worshiped. I mean, there's quotes, I forget who said it, but, um, and this one speaks right to my heart of somebody said, Blake Schwarzenbach has the most, uh, the fans who treat him like a religious icon. He has that more than anyone on earth except Morrissey, which tells you a lot. Like he's really, his lyrics are like really, really poetic and heartfelt. And he also is so versatile. Like some of his songs are sort of like traditional, just get the lyrics out. And then some are telling stories mm-hmm. of characters and they're very literary. And he went on to be a college professor and like, Oh, I didn't really, know that. Yeah. In Brooklyn, that. in Brooklyn, I think at a uh, Hunter college, maybe he was like, which always made me laugh. Cause I'm like, if I, and then we went to Hunter college and I was a punk kid. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
there's definitely not two Blake Schwartz and Boston. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Like that happened to some young punk kid at some point. That is wild. And yeah, I, I mean, I think if you listen to, no matter what their battles were, Chris's bass playing is like really innovative and weird. Yeah. And I would actually go so far to say, and I'm not somebody who sits around and analyzes music like this. I'm really not. But when you listen to Adam's drumming, I think there's a lot of choices he makes that are just more complex than you'd ever expect in a punk song to the point where I notice it. Mm -hmm. And some of it, it's the weirdest thing to say. I actually think some of his choices as a drummer are, are like funny, but in a way that it almost feels like an intentional joke placed within the song via the drums, which is just kind of like strange to even notice. That's interesting. Do a thing, and you're like, "Oh shit, like, <laughs> that's hilarious." I mean, they say in the doc that they're not self serious and that they're very silly for the most part, but and I believe that. But um, the, I got to tell you, I this thing made me fall in love with Adam. I I became and oh, also Shane was telling me that uh, he spotted Adam in the or no, uh, Adam spotted him in the crowd because he wore a Jawbreaker shirt on Colbert. And a uh, friend of the show, Jane Harrison, sent the Colbert clip over to Adam. And so he was like, yeah, come to a show sometime. And then uh, Adam like pointed him out in the crowd and like talked to him for a while. And like, it's just, that's such a cool move. And he just seems like, in the doc, he seems like such a cool guy. And I, re- I was watching it knowing that, even knowing that they were going to do what they did, which is re- reunite in 2017. And... I was just so sad. It was breaking my heart watching uh, how he his eyes just looked so sad when thinking about what happened because he was yeah. the one he was like this middleman and wanted to keep going and it's yeah it's tough and he kept it alive. He was the one who managed to get the rights to their masters back so he could reissue them and stuff. And right, he's also I have to say an insanely supportive guy of other artists. Like when he and I were getting to know each other he did in his video store, he used to put on comedy shows and he reached out to me and was like, he would be like, Hey, the San Francisco comic I love is moving to New York. Like if you find him, say hi or look out oh, for them. Man, that's so good, sick. Yeah. And good people too. Like one person who I already knew a little bit, but like Claire O'Kane, who I think is so awesome and so cool. He went out of his way to be like, yo, Claire's the best. Like you, you gotta link up with Claire and Claire and I are our friends. And, and uh, that's not a thing that like, people need to do let alone people who aren't in the comedy scene and who are legendary in their own scene like yeah. that's really giving yeah that's really giving and thoughtful uh this guy this comic uh torio van Grohl sent me uh and we'll get to the rest of the comments later but uh he sent me that uh he was the first one to tell me about adam owning uh that video store that was uh he says the coolest comedy venue in san francisco up until it closed and he said that uh, he showed up uh, at my last Sketchfest show just to give me a piece of the old backdrop I used to make fun of during sets. That's cool as shit. That's just such a cool move. And there's a lot of people who would be like, hey, fuck you. Don't make fun of my venue. <laughs> and instead, he was like, I'm going to give you this because it's so cool. That's I love that. Well, listen to this. So that Banjay Church I mentioned, the guy who is the lead singer, he died. And uh, I wrote this thing about they had this seven inch that the the b-side was secretly a beck song so it's impossible to find like it goes on ebay for thousands of dollars because beck fans want it so bad and there's only a hundred of them in the world so i wrote about this seven inch and how it's this like sort of quietly mythical thing and he facebook messages me he's like hey dude like we don't know each other what's your number i want to talk and i was like is this a fucking drummer he's got a distinctive <laughs> name you know so he calls me up he's like thanks for writing that this and that and blah 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 and like 
we're talking on the phone and he's really personal. He goes, Hey, what's your address? So I give him my address. And like a week later, this package shows up and it's got J church t-shirts, stickers. Wow. It's got a cassette of all these rare demos they had. He sent along jawbreaker shirts. He sent along vinyl copies of their albums. And in one of them, I th- it was either dear you or ETC. It has like a fold out, like gatefold uh, thing. And he personally went through with the Sharpie and annotated it. And was like, oh, this picture was taken by this person. I forget who it was, but it was like another artist from their scene. It was like, oh, like nobody actually knows this, but this picture was taken by this other person, you know, who's more famous than we are. Like, <laughs> oh, this lyric refers to this show that we did in this town and nobody knows that. I was like, he personally oh went God. and it, this is wow. fucking awesome. That's so And sick. I didn't ask him to do any of that. That is cool That's as amazing. shit, man. We talked on the phone one time and he did the nicest, <laughs> nicest person. That is person. that is so cool, man. I love I love stories like that, and just wa- it's one of those things where you could just see how he was interacting with his employees in in the documentary. You're like, this guy is cool. There's no way yeah. that he's not cool the way that they talk to him and about him. Uh, we should go ahead and blast through some of this music, and I want to hear because we've been talking about uh, about Dear You. I think we should go ahead and hear Bad Scene, Everyone's Fault, and uh, oh, yeah, jump to it here. Probably my favorite Jawbreaker song is Ah. too mean or you're too nice he can drop a bomb he can rip your heart out of your chest with these (laughs) lyrics and uh i always love that one that's a perfect example of why dear you is really incredible and i think elevates their game because like bivouac in particular you can't understand any of the lyrics and the (laughs) lyrics are beautiful yes and it's a shame you have to kind of memorize them off the lyric sheets to to really get going and the other thing i love about that song is i am a sucker for anything that ends unexpectedly on a punchline, like, uh, like the book Portnoy's Complaint by Philip Roth, I love because it ends on a punchline where you're like, oh my god, like this is a whole novel that just ended on one punchline, and that scene, that song is all about two guys who go to a party. It's one of these stories. So two guys go to a party, they run into one of the guy's ex girlfriends, and it's just the story of this incident. And then the last line is just, and then the cop showed up, and it abruptly <laughs> stops. And I'm like, that's that's a good punchline. That's about great. Going to a going to a punk rock party. You uh, you made a great point about, and I I've talked about this on the show enough to where I get made fun of about it. But I'm I love lyrics so much, and that's a big mm-hmm. problem that I've had with. Uh, with punk because so many punk songs that have great lyrics, I don't know what the fuck they're saying. So it's tough yeah. for me. Uh, and I, that's why I liked listening to this album 
because they're throughout that documentary they're talking about what a genius Blake is with lyrics and that he's this beautiful poet and then I I I feel like they do a decent job of of shining his lyrics better than a lot of of punk stuff does but um he is great reading his lyrics I was oh. deeply moved one of the songs on here like made me fully emotional and that uh which one the kiss the bottle I oh, is yeah. really uh tough I mean it's just great yeah. Um, shit, should we just listen to it? Uh, we got, uh, we, we kind of have to rush through these, uh, little bits, so I'm just gonna play them through. So this is, uh, this is Kiss the Bottle. I was kissing the bottle when I should have been kissing you. Is uh, it's I, great. I could feel you trying to let the clip run long. I know that's what I was trying to get to. <laughs> I, I, I fucked up. You. I started it too I, I early. I could feel you thinking, "Why did I play the Hollywood show?" I could feel you thinking it. I was. That's a common thing that happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's too, it's tough because it's like seconds of intro, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> after saying, "Man, these lyrics ripped my heart out," I fucked most up. People are going, "Is this an instrumental?" Immediately, immediately, I was like, "God damn it!" Because then I was like, I, I was like, I couldn't remember exactly. <laughs> but, hey that'll leave the people wanting more get get on there but i mean that also made me laugh the line where he says the the hardened beans and the fan we're hungry <laughs> yeah they're funny great. guys and but it, people say they're pretentious and i'm like they are but in a beautiful way we're like they know it and also I, let me say they're this. smart it's it's fine oh, one of those like smart in a way too I, that song's a perfect example of i think you can hear it and especially considering the era like a lot of punk back then was sort of like juvenile lyrics trying to be funny and it's great it's what i grew up on i love it and the music is pretty basic Mm -hmm. then you had indie rock which could delve into like you know like sort of like jazz drumming and elaborate like spanish style guitar solos and a lot of that is great and they are the band that i think is most in the middle of like it's solidly punk in the way that like gets your gears going Mm -hmm. but it's not like music for 14 year olds unless those 14 year olds are like cool for yeah. <laughs> yeah and as someone prone to immense bouts of sadness 
that song is one of the ones where you realize why this band means so much to me. Cause if, if I'm in a certain place in my head and you hear a song that starts with the lyric, it gets loneliest at yes. night down by the liquor store. I'm yep. Like, you got me. Yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> immediately sucked in. That's I'm the, good. it's beautiful. Uh, all right. Let's hear Chesterfield King. I'm just gonna play the next two so we can talk about them all at once. So I say one quick thing. Oh about yeah, that yeah, because yeah. that's the one I've been most in touch with lately. And just on a cheesy note, it's one of the songs that because when you have a kid, you just wind up singing every song you know to try to get them to sleep. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that song just calms him down and makes him feel <laughs> all right asleep. So it's become like super meaningful for me in a whole new way. Anyway, <laughs> that's I'm, an emo, I'm an emo fuck. So sorry. Uh, emo dad coming to NBC Fridays. <laughs> emo dad. Maybe that'll be my next album title. You may have seen my next album. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's hear Indictment, another one off of 24. indictment that one's great it uh i don't know how much you want to just fly i feel like i'm being very annoying no you're not annoying are you kidding no (laughs) that song has this line so crazy it might just work then we'll quit our jobs (laughs) we could be the next group that you rob and i have to tell you that song and i don't i'm just gonna be emo dad again Um, (laughs) or just emo emo I came up at UCB when it was like UCB, when yeah. it was the thing everybody heard about. And when it's still before, I think a lot of the, the, the backlash, more, like yeah. a lot of backlash. I was there when it was unquestionable. People were like, that place is launching people and mm-hmm. it's helping a lot of people. And I had, you know, I started there in 2000 and, and when I was seeing like my best friend got hired, you know, Bobby Moynihan, mm-hmm. SNL, Zach Woods, the office, like, I taught Aubrey Plaza level three class and and it, it was immensely stressful for me. And then I'm sitting there feeling like I've always been this weirdo and I cannot fucking figure out why I can kill on stage. And then I cannot sell, I cannot get anybody to, to, so the line's so crazy. It might just work. Then we'll quit our jobs. I'm not lying when I say that was a song that came to me a lot to me in that stretch of life. Cause I, it always made me remember like, 
remember who I am, remember how I grew up, remember that my ideas, like, and then the idea we could be the next group that you rob, like, I'm not a huge person in any way, but I've had a couple things where people go, oh, that's fucking nuts what you did on public access. And then six months later, I see it on a better show, like in a cleaned up better <laughs> version. And I'm not bitter. I, I actually am very flattered sometimes that I saw shit. And I once had a producer at a, at a, a very popular show warn me and say, a lot of writer's rooms, people are watching your show. And I was like, oh, that's flattering. He goes, no, 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 no. Think about what I'm saying. They're watching your show. And I was like, oh, he's mm. warning me. So the idea of being the crazy one and actually just saying like, no, it's going to fucking work. I'm like, oh, that song. That's one of those songs that helped, actually helped. I love that. No, thank you for saying that. Now every time I hear that, I'm going to think of that. That's beautiful. I feel like everyone listening to your show right now is like, this is the least funny, most self-important and annoying <laughs> episode of all. No, time. no this is great. I, I've I've had a great time on this episode, and the last ep- I saved my favorite song on this playlist for last. Uh, I oh, really nice. like it. It's uh, it's called Want, and it's uh, oh, it's on Unfun. It's fucking awesome. An early one. couldn't tell i fucked up again because that's what i was trying to get to (laughs) i really thought it came earlier (laughs) that's one of the cool things about their lyrics being hard to understand is that in that early stuff you'd be like wait what is he saying and then all of a sudden it's i i i i i i i want you and that's so clear and you're just like oh oh." it's great you gave it to us (laughs) and that was one of their earliest songs like that's that's a pretty advanced song to write for one of your yeah. first songs as like a college punk band back i love that song it, that one so even though it wasn't with the uh, albini it was that one gave me pixies feels and i uh <laughs> i was into it it gave me all the, the pixies feels <laughs> when my wife and i were getting to know each other she put together a playlist of songs for me she's very very uh she's a musician and she's got impeccable taste and that song was on the mix and i was like oh we're gonna 
<laughs> get along in this one. We're that, along. that is beautiful. Uh, we have uh, one last segment here to get to before we wrap up and uh, and give our uh, review of the playlist here, and that is to read the co- from the peanut gallery here. So let's go straight to it. Uh, if you're on the Patreon, you get your stuff read guaranteed. So we'll go there first and uh, and see what we got here. And by the way, Patreon's only three dollars a damn month. Get in there, people. Uh, all right, Ali McElwee says, "Kiss the bottle is a bop." Uh, true. <laughs> JV says, "I was lucky enough to see one of their reunion shows at Brooklyn Steel. I didn't think they could ever put on a show that lived up to the hype around a Jawbreaker reunion, but goddamn, did they ever! So good that I didn't even care." Hell yeah. Uh, Andrew Yaworski says, "One of my favorite bands of all time. I found out about them in 2002 because the Ataris covered Boxcar." I discovered them through the Atari's cover of Boxcar back in 2002. I purchased 24-hour revenge therapy and illegally downloaded all the other records and, uh, <laughs> until I was able to... Uh, uh, able to if... Oh. Oh, he wrote even more. I see here. Where did this end? 24 was just gritty enough to expand my horizons and get me to check out other bands I might have skipped over previously, but just poppy enough that my 18-year-old brain wouldn't be scared. A few years later, I'd get my hands on their other records. Bivouac and Unfun both served as gateways to indie rock and post-hardcore, while Dear You blew my mind, especially because at that point, bands had started ripping that album off aggressively. Really great band, and I was stoked to finally see them play live, not once, but twice the last few years. Nice. Uh, Tim Claridge says, uh, Sweet... Wait, no, wait, that's a private message. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet what? Sweet, sweet I what? will pay the ransom that you have held my family up for. Um, Cole Froling says, I like this idea. I don't listen to the podcast because I love hearing uh, 30 seconds of six kind of bad songs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Ron Trimbath writes, Jawbreaker was the band I was pretending to know about when I went to punk shows in my hometown in the late 90s because it was, wasn't cool to say that Green Day was your favorite punk band also love your work chris hey there you go hey that's nice chris uh me or chris him <laughs> wait is your name chris too <laughs> that's why i'm so fucking confused uh let's see here uh then we have uh did you do we have anything on the twitter yeah uh i'll do uh mike leavitz said jawbreaker is awesome and so is the first just to brazil album i love mike mm-hmm. uh austin type bro negative wrote the 24-hour revenge therapy is a banger front to back i've gotten the chance to see them live twice in the past few years and they still sound great michael keefe said love them and uh george gordon apparently worked with blake at double windsor and said he was uh he was great and he was a tremendous guest on a podcast called know your roles so i have to listen to that yeah check that out for sure uh i definitely will uh, we got a bunch of Facebook comments, but we don't have time to get to do a lot of them. Get on the Patreon if you want them guaranteed red people. Shane Torres says, oh, I got thoughts, motherfucker. About- <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, this is, uh, um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, sorry guys. I'll give you one. Okay. Uh, Gary's, uh, Jagowski says, love them. I highly suggest listening to forgetters as well. They were playing in Milwaukee, and I asked Blake if I could get a picture with him, and he said he doesn't do pictures anymore, and then I found his Instagram, and it was nothing but selfies, which made me laugh because he's like 50. <laughs> Before doing the podcast, you should uh, check Blake's video game reviews from like 97 between Jawbreaker and JTB. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I will do that. Uh, all right. Last thing here is that we rate the playlist and uh, out of six, but before we do that, Chris, you get to give your final thoughts on the band Jawbreaker. Uh, I just think they're really good. I think there is a lot of, you know, uh, 
I think they put up with a lot of unfair stuff. I'm glad I'm not the only person who's going to see them now when they come around and kind of ignoring all that. And on top of that, I know one of them personally, and he's a super nice guy. And uh, they deserve every every kind thing that comes their way. Hell yeah, hell yeah, Tommy. Do you want to do you want to take the lead here, or do you want me to? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to try not to hold it against them that uh, Adam did insult my recording setup during he Sandwich did. Night. I do remember that. <laughs> and I remember you looking actually sort of taken aback into it. <laughs> I was like, this guy from a legendary band, is, he was the first one to make fun of it, too. Now a lot of people have been making fun of it, and he started the trend, so I have to respect him. I mean, have you that. thought about changing it? If it's being consistent? Like, you have That's a, a great question. right now. Like a visibly used towel. You could just honestly throw that on the floor. And I wouldn't be able to bring this up. And it feels like I'm making fun of it, but I'm honestly just saying a thing that I'm seeing. I'm not offering any like twist or burn. That's a dirty towel. So I'm not going to try and factor any of that into my review. But okay. Sorry. Sorry to jump on it. That's so funny. Uh, also, straighten the picture, Tommy. Uh, hey. Has, we, here's people brought this up? somebody else pointed this out that it actually if you couldn't see the frame it would actually look like it's straight because rodney is crooked in the picture so it's it, almost it like it's normal you, it would you have to stand up right next to it anyway when you're done with this and it would take you literally the flick of a finger. no he'd have to hire a guy off of fiverr or whatever to come you could, you could honestly at the same time use your right hand to remove that towel while using your left hand to straighten out the picture frame and the visual image you've chosen to set up for work stuff would be significantly less sad. And I like you a lot, man. You know that. I'm not somebody out here trying to be mean to Tommy. You know that I'm very fond of you. You could honestly, in 10 seconds, fix every problem that everyone is making fun of you over and over again for. Zero effort. You're sitting right there. You couldn't, you don't even. Hold on. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Okay. Can you reach that picture frame from where you are? Because I, I can tell you can probably reach the towel. <laughs> uh oh, this is going. This is for the people at home. This is turned oh, to chaos. Gonna... It's gotten much worse. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you were able to try to fix it from right there. Okay, so you're. <laughs> I'll see if I can pencil it into my schedule later. It's busy over here at uh, McNamara HQ. It's a big month. But uh, <laughs> what's so funny is, so when, when Jawbreaker, I never listened to Jawbreaker. Uh, I, I never, the only Jawbreaker song I heard when I was young was not a Jawbreaker. It was a cover of Jawbreaker by Fall Out Boy when I had a big Fall Out Boy phase when I was like in eighth grade or high school or whatever. And Fall Out Boy covered Save Your Generation. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. And I did. I didn't like that version of that song. So for some reason, I thought Jawbreaker was bad because of a cover I'd heard of them, which is like I was fourteen or whatever. And I never listened to them at all. I never gave them a shot. And then in 2017, when they had that reunion, all these people I love and respect and whose music taste I have a lot of you know commonality with, were so excited about the Jawbreaker reunion. And I just felt like I was like jealous of their nostalgia. I was like, I wish I was looking back fondly on this. I wish I was excited about this, but I still never really got into it because I just felt like, I don't know, I didn't have an entry point. And that's why I loved so much um, this playlist you sent because I'd never just had like a short 
manageable. Oh, here's six songs by Jawbreaker. And I just shoveled them for like two hours in a row. I just kept playing them on repeat and I loved them. I thought they were so good. And then I also watched that documentary and it reminded me a lot of, I read the replacements book last year, Trouble Boys. I think there's a lot of similarities there with like all these, like almost making it shooting themselves in the foot kind of thing. So I like saw Jawbreaker's good people and that book makes you hate. Yeah, a couple of things. <laughs> makes you really hate how they behaved <laughs> towards true. themselves and each other. Yes, very good point. But and um, their own fans and oh, yeah, anyways. yes, yeah. But um, it really made me love them. Just this like day of listening to this playlist and watching that documentary. So I, I'm just gonna go ahead and give it give it the whole thing. I'm gonna give it a six out of six. I really enjoyed Ooh. listening to this. Hell yeah! All right, I'll make mine quick because it, it's almost time to play McNamara HQ, and I'm trying to win a lot of money <laughs> on my phone. Uh, I, I love this playlist and I'm happy because this is a band that I wanted to do a deeper dive on in the first place. I, I The only songs I knew really before this, I listened to Boxcar because it was the t- uh, on the top five of their uh, their Spotify. And uh, every once in a while, I'm reminded of Jawbreaker. And I go, oh, I'll check them out. And then I go to the top five of, uh, of their Spotify playlist. And uh, I knew... Um, uh, shit, what's the one that I was just uh, talking about? I knew... Um, the drinking one. God damn it. It's a, uh, it's, where the hell did I do with the, the Kiss thing? The Kiss the bottle. Kiss the bottle. Uh, Shane Torres has played that one for me before. And, uh, the song from Dear You, the song from Dear You was on NCAA, uh, football 06. Really? So I was like, I heard it and I was like, I where do I know that? that from? And it's from that football game. Wow. Cause I used to, I used How to play weird. that all the time. I know. Very random pick, but I remember being like, what is this song? And, uh, yeah. I, I loved it, and I'm really uh, happy I got to uh, get a chance to do a deep dive. Like I said, that documentary, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, uh, don't Break Down. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, I'm going to go 6-2. I, I really liked it. I, uh, I'm going to give it a, a full full points. Uh, Chris, you get, to, you get to rate it, too. I'm going to give it a one. I just, no, I like all the, I clearly love all those songs. Is there any way, and I apologize, there's a story I just remembered that people might, I've never Please. told it, but if yes. people are nerding out about Jawbreaker. So when I had my public access show, we were getting all these killer bands. Uh, if you look up the roster, especially if you're a punk fan, like it superseded what we should have been able to get. And there was a, a band called Jawbreaker Reunion, which I always thought was yes. a really I just funny found them. Band. I yeah. like that band, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a good, solid punk band from the tri-state area. And I always thought that was a funny name. Try to get people to come out to your show like the <laughs> Jawbreaker Reunion on the flyer. Like, good, funny thing. And I had become friends with Adam at this point. And I reached out to him. I go, dude, I want you to know that I know how annoying this is. I was like, I understand that this is an extraordinarily annoying thing. So please forgive me, but I would, I would never forgive myself if I didn't ask. I'm like, everybody is always clamoring for Jawbreaker to reunite. It's, it was them and the Smiths. Those mm-hmm. were the two bands that were never going to reunite. I go, now that I have your number and we've hit it off, I was like, I have this show, we have bands. How can I not? How can I not? ask you if there's any way it can you just it, on our public access show like i can give you no money but maybe that'll be better somehow and i was gonna say that we had booked jawbreaker reunion and make everybody think it was that punk band and then it was going to be an actual jawbreaker reunion and he goes oh dude can i tell you a secret we've actually been rehearsing again he goes you're in new york right your show's in new york i go yeah he goes oh we're all going to be in new york soon together rehearsing out there um, what night is your show? I go Wednesday night. He goes, ah, oh, shit. Me and Chris don't land till Thursday. Sorry, oh, dude. and no. I was like, 
God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you imagine if unannounced. Oh, is that, that is wow. so crazy. Damn. That's exactly. almost, you're almost like dialing the network. Like, is there any way we can just totally change nights? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I, I reached out. I, I actually met, I didn't know Jawbreaker Union. And I met one of the people who used to be in that band. And I was like, listen to this. And they were like, oh, we would have loved to have been a part of that. That's crazy. fake out. <laughs> oh, that's, that's beautiful. Man, what a story to end the show on. And uh, Chris, this was so much fun, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Please, thanks for having me. I sorry I ramble so much, but I just Dude, I just get really excited about the things I love. That's what this whole damn show is about. And uh, you know, calling Tommy a, a pest or a pedophile or whatever. Um, <laughs> pestophile. I, I almost said oh, sex. Oh man, right the though. things he does to pestophile are just <laughs> disgusting. He is a pestophile. He's a pestophile. <laughs> you should bring. Think you ran a cooking show called Tommy the Pestophile, and this is how I much you love pesto. Emo dad and pestophile. How is the industry not paying attention to this That's show? The new Ant Man and the Wasp. <laughs> and look, pestophile, so crazy it might just work, and then you quit your job. Oh, beautiful. Uh, all right, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, and guys, uh, get on the Patreon if you're not already on there. Is there anything uh, you want to promote here, Chris? Actually, you know, I'm, I I do this online. Uh, sort of venue planet scum tommy's done some stuff on it and uh i i just actually launched a new podcast called new jersey is the world and it's just about my massive amount of love for my my home state and we have a patreon too and um you don't have to be familiar with jersey it's it's me and these two guys i grew up with who are not comedians but who are just everybody has those friends from their hometown who are the funniest people they know and it's just me and those guys talking jersey and, and you might like it if you check it out Hell yeah, definitely check that out. Tommy, anything you want to plug here? Uh, no, yeah, just check out the Patreon, and uh, I'm going to be working on my towel game, and <laughs> that's kind of my focus, so we'll see what happens there. <laughs> it's not even straight, the towel. It's like not no, pleasant, and it's not even hung, hung like, one side is so much longer than the other. Everything about it's asymmetrical. Is it, move your head a second, Tommy. It's touching some of your clothes. <laughs> it's not. And it's not complicated. I'm not, you guys, is my, my reputation in comedy, I would say, is like the opposite of meme. <laughs> yes. And I can't help myself right now. This is wild. Oh man! All right, uh, get on the Patreon, people. If you spend, a, if you join the hundred dollar tier, you can be a guest on the show, and you can talk about Tommy's room. Also, I guess. <laughs> and, and I heard that you just updated the hundred dollar tier that you get your official. I'm a pestifier. <laughs> That's true. Yes, those are and, uh... we. We started making those shirts. <laughs> we started making the shirts before we even started recording today. <laughs> written in my notes. You're a pestifile bib. Uh, all Registered right. Pestifier. <laughs> Uh, all right we will see you guys next week keep it crispy bye when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply